We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic process. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. I have a dream. Welcome to Great Men Back Then. Here's your host, Lauren Scott. You are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. And welcome to Great Men Back Then, where we talk about, you guessed it, great men. Specifically, great men from American history. Now, I know what you may be thinking right now. How can it be possible that a college student could possibly judge the character of some of the men in our history and call them great? Especially when many of them had tremendous faults and made loads of mistakes. I mean, for crying out loud, more than half of the founding fathers owned slaves. My response to that would be this. Yes, many of our men in history were flawed and made choices that were most definitely not commendable. But I am here to give you the facts. If we take a closer look into the lives of these men, we can better understand where they're coming from. A lot of people will focus on have lived through more tragedy and more grief than most people in the 21st century will ever know or understand. Wars, adultery, child loss, and illness all play into the effect of how a person lives their life and makes decisions. For greatness is not about the number of mistakes one makes, but the number of times one overcomes those mistakes and perseveres through hardships. If you have listened to a few of my episodes, you may have noticed that I do not necessarily follow any kind of order when I choose the men that I want to highlight. I like the liberty of not strictly following any kind of chronological timeline so that I can pretty much talk about whoever I want each week. However, I want to do something a little bit different for a few months. In the next four episodes, I will be highlighting certain American men who have fought in World War I. After those four episodes are complete, I will do another four episodes highlighting American men from World War II. If you loved my random picking of men each week, then I'm sorry to inform you that that is coming to an end, but only for a few months. If you're a fan of the World Wars, then I'm happy to tell you that you are in luck. So feel free to sit back, grab a cup of coffee, and learn a little bit more about the men who died so that we can enjoy the liberties we have today. I have decided to highlight John J. Pershing, who was a U.S. Army general who commanded the American Expeditionary Forces in Europe during World War I. He is most well known for his leadership in helping defeat the Central Powers in 1918. I'm going to start today's episode by having a little trivia segment with Logan Washburn, a sophomore studying politics and journalism. Now, Logan is no John Pershing expert, but he's going to give it his best try. Logan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. All right. Do you feel prepared for some of these questions? I don't know. Like you said, I'm no John Pershing expert. All right. Well, let's jump right in. What school did Pershing graduate from? I want to say it was Princeton. It was actually West Point Academy, but Princeton is a good guess. What was Pershing's first real job after high school? Did he join as a private? He did not actually. He was a school teacher, but that was a another good guess, Logan. (laughs) 
What was Pershing's nickname? Blackjack Pershing? Yes! Correct, right. Logan. Good job. That's a surprise. How many children did Pershing have? Pershing had four children, three daughters, and one son. The three daughters perished in a fire in San Francisco while the son was taken care of by... I believe it was his sister in Lincoln, Nebraska. Oh, wow. You did some studying. I did. I'm surprised I remembered it. But That was that was spot on. That was actually all correct, too. Wow. Thanks. All right, Logan, we are going to move on to some true or false, so you'll have a better chance of getting these correct. True or false, Pershing was an advocate for world peace. True. Correct. True or false, Pershing married after his wife's death. That is also true. He married when he was, I believe, 85. That is correct, Logan. True or false, Pershing was a professor at West Point at some point in his life. That is correct. Yes, that is right. He actually was a professor at some point um, at West Point, his alma mater. Interesting. All right, Logan, that's all the questions I have for you today, but thank you so much for joining us. And without further ado, let's jump into the rest of the life of John Pershing. Thanks for having me on. Now, before we jump into his life as a general, I want us to get to know Pershing as a child and young adult first. He grew up on a farm with his eight younger siblings. When he was a young boy, his family was not particularly wealthy, but they were fairly comfortable. With his father owning a general store, being postmaster of their town, and saving the profit that they would make from their family farm, this allowed them to get by as they were raising a family with nine children. However, in 1873, an economic depression swept across America, affecting millions of Americans and forever changing the lives they once knew. Unfortunately, the Pershing family was no exception. Pershing's father, John Fletcher, had bought some farmland in the area using some bank loans, this depression forced Pershing's father to helplessly stand by as he watched his farmland get taken away from him. He lost everything except one of his farms. With the loss of the farms came the loss of the family's wealth, and this led to a decision that would forever change the life of Pershing. With no light at the end of the tunnel, and with a desire to support and provide for his family, Pershing's father left his home to become a traveling salesman. Although this had an effect on everybody in the family, Pershing was perhaps affected the most. With his father gone most of the time, he had to become the man of the household at the age of 14. He was fully responsible to continue to make the family farm profitable while also attending school and performing well. He did so with great perseverance until he eventually took on a job at Prairie Mound School to be a school teacher while he was still a teenager. Since all the money he earned as a young teenager went towards the support of his family, he had no money saved for college by the time he was old enough to attend. Although teaching was not Pershing's ideal job, he took on this role so he could save enough money to attend school. After a couple years of teaching, he finally earned enough money to attend college at Kirksville Normal School, which is now Truman State University. Upon graduating in 1880 with a teaching degree, 
He returned to his first job at Prairie Mound School, but he soon learned that he no longer wanted to pursue teaching and that he wanted to pursue law. He then returned to his alma mater to study law. However, his time spent back at Kirksville did not last long. Upon seeing an advertisement for the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, he decided that he might as well try to gain his education for free. He studied immensely for the entrance exam, and his younger sister, Elizabeth, even helped him study for it. It was very intense, for only one person in the congressional district would win an appointment. Pershing earned the top exam score by a narrow margin and entered West Point in July of 1882. Now, it is because Pershing was a very hardworking man and he was very diligent that I am featuring him on my show, Great Men Back Then, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. At this point in Pershing's life, I would like to take a step back and think about all the details that allowed this story to unfold. If his father had not become a traveling agent, he never would have had to step up to the plate and be the man of the household, which taught him invaluable lessons concerning responsibility and perseverance, two things which made him an outstanding general. If he never happened to see the advertisement for West Point, then he would have ended up studying law, and the chances of him becoming a general would have been very slim. All of these small decisions and even some major disappointments led to the biggest decision Pershing would make that would eventually lead to making history in America. Now, Pershing is at West Point Academy, and one may think that he'd be at the top of his class since he is so studious and hardworking, right? Well, that is not exactly the case. Pershing's first year at West Point was actually very challenging for him, and he did not do well in most of his classes. However, this did not stop Pershing from his determination to succeed. By the time he graduated in 1886, he graduated 30th out of his class of 77. Now, although this does not sound like a tremendous accomplishment, if we consider how poorly he did his first year, then we can understand that this is something to be proud of. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit in Pershing's life because I really want to cover the main highlights that I found to be super interesting. In 1896, Pershing was assigned to the frontier with the 10th Cavalry. This was an all-black regiment because at the time, blacks and whites were actually separated in the military. After serving with the 10th Regiment, Pershing was actually assigned to teach at West Point, and this is where his students gave him the nickname Black Jack because of his time serving with the 10th Regiment with the black soldiers. Not much longer after Pershing had started teaching at West Point, the Spanish-American War broke out, and he was again assigned to lead the men of the 10th Regiment. He fiercely led his men in Cuba in the Battle of San Juan Hill. During this battle, the men of the 10th Regiment showed great bravery and strength, to which they earned the admiration and respect of their leader. Pershing was often found praising the men of his regiment, which at the time was pretty uncommon for a general to give praise to black soldiers, so this was a great testament of his character and integrity. After Spain was defeated in the Spanish-American War, Pershing was stationed in the Philippines for three and a half years. 
after he returned home, he met and married the love of his life, Helen Frances Warren. Together, they had a happy marriage and four children, Helen, Anne, Warren, and Margaret. Although Pershing and his wife lived a happy life raising their four beautiful children, tragedy soon struck. In 1915, while his family was living in San Francisco and he was stationed in El Paso, Texas, he received horrific news. There had been a fire that killed his wife and his three daughters, Helen, age nine, Anne, age seven, and Margaret, age three. The only survivor was his five-year-old son, Warren. This was a tragedy that Pershing would never recover from. As a result, he immersed himself in his work, leaving Warren to his sister to be the main caretaker and provider. Those who were close to him say that he never quite recovered and he was never the same man after losing his wife and three daughters. I cannot even begin to fathom the type of pain Pershing must have felt. Here he is, all the way across the country, and he receives news that his wife and all but one of his children are dead. He could not be there for them to save them. His wife died alone without her husband, and his daughters died without their father there. The guilt Pershing inevitably felt was almost too much to bear, which is why he made his entire world his work. In 1914, the Great War started after the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Germany, Austria-Hungary, Bulgaria, and the Ottoman Empire, also known as the Central Powers, fought against Great Britain, France, Russia, Italy, Romania, Japan, and the United States, known as the Allied Powers. However, the United States did not enter the war until 1917. Before we entered the war, Pershing was very adamant about supporting the Red Cross by any means possible. Here is part of his speech expanding upon America's duty to support the Allied powers. Today, in this most tragic of wars, when the Allied countries are again fighting for their very existence, the American Red Cross is appealing for the modest sum of $20 million. The need is most urgent. It is our duty, as we are given power to see our duty, to give aid to the helpless and the needy. The Allies are fighting a war for civilization. They are holding our front line. And we have a vital concern in the outcome. We should send not only food, clothing, and medical supplies, but also arrange to send airplanes, artillery, small arms, and ammunition in unlimited quantities. There is no time to lose. The Allies need every encouragement it is possible for us to give. Let us open our hearts and give, give, give in Christian sympathy. About two years later, the United States entered the Great War after staying neutral for as long as possible. Pershing was appointed General of the American Expeditionary Forces and was sent to Europe. 
He was tasked with many difficult tasks, such as what to do with an army that had grown from 130,000 men to 2 million men in just 18 months. There was much training involved and a lot of dealing with supplies during this time. Despite the difficulty of the situation, Pershing was successful in training his men and making the decisions that would be best for them. When the Americans first arrived in Europe, the European allies were very eager to have the American troops start fighting. I mean, you can't really blame them after three years of bloody hell during war. The European allies were very adamant about American soldiers filling in the gaps in their troops, but Pershing stood firm in not allowing that to happen. He did not think it would be a strong force since the U.S. training method and the European training method were very different from one another. There was much controversy around this decision, but Pershing did not sway. He also strongly believed that a strong united American force would damage the German morale more than a mixed group of Americans and Europeans. In May of 1918, the United States troops entered into battle and they were a powerful force. They especially did well whenever Pershing led his men as a powerful force in the Meuse-Argonne offensive. The inter-allied offensive in France destroyed German resistance in early October, which eventually led to the armistice the following month. Of course, not everything in these operations went exactly as planned, and for that, Pershing received some criticism, but overall, he returned home with a sound reputation. Not only was he loved by the American people in general, but he was respected and admired by his men. On September 1st, 1919, he was given the rank of General of the Armies of the United States. This has been given to no other man except George Washington when he led the Continental Army in the Revolutionary War. There is no telling what would have become of our European allies had General Pershing not led the American troops in such a strong, admirable way. Even when our allies had doubt, Pershing stood his ground and did what he thought was best in the interest of all parties involved. I think it is very important for us to remember that even though Pershing is most remembered for his faithful duty as a general in World War I, he by no means enjoyed war and wanted to avoid it at all costs. On Memorial Day in 1936, Pershing gave a speech at the Arlington National Cemetery. In his speech, it is very clear that he wants Americans to preserve world peace more than anything. But instead of giving you a summary of the speech, why don't I just show you? Here is part of Pershing's speech at the Arlington National Cemetery. The President's wreath symbolizes the memorial tribute of a nation at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Later, in the amphitheater overlooking 44,000 graves of soldier dead, Mr. Roosevelt is to be listener rather than spokesman. The orator's privilege being given to the AEF commander, General Pershing. It does seem amazing that civilized nations should continue to adhere to war as an element of national policy. Even now, less than a score of years after the World War, armies and armaments are being rapidly multiplied until in many countries the burden seems wholly unbearable. It is almost axiomatic 
to say that a people who complacently submit to unreasonable demands of a clamorous minority will certainly become the prey of a dictator. This nation, as one of the great powers, can do no less in the fulfillment of its manifest duty to humanity than to make the most earnest and devoted effort for the preservation of world peace. speech to be particularly moving because even though he gained all of his fame from fighting in war, he did not want this to be America's identity. World peace was of the utmost importance for him because he loved the American people and he did not want to lose any more citizens. He was a man of great honor and dignity. Pershing died on July 15, 1948 at the age of 88. He is still remembered as a hero to this day. Pershing was a man who valued honor and respect, which is why I argue he was a great man. He was great for not developing a victim mentality even when life put him through tragedy. He was great for standing his ground in what he truly believed was right. He was great for leading the Americans in battle, which eventually led to the end of the Great War. For all these reasons, I argue that John J. Pershing was a great man. Thank you for listening to Great Men Back Then, where we talk about great men. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode and even learned something new about John Pershing. Come back next week as we will talk about another great man on Great Men Back Then with your host, Lauren Scott, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.